Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Riot Jr. We have a number of people we're going to talk in with today. And our first guest is a Washington State Senator John Levy, uh, out of the, a Democrat out of the 44th Legislative District. And this gentleman has had so many elected positions. I think everything in Stormish County and everything in the state except for governor. But welcome, Senator John Levy, welcome to uh, Urban Forum Northwest. And I know that uh, I really want to talk to you about uh, the carnage that's been ha happening at these schools with these uh, military weapons. And, uh, and since you were the former sheriff uh, of uh, Snohomish County uh, and also the county executive when they had the catastrophe up there with the landslide, I would just like to have you uh, lend, uh, give to our listeners some kind of idea of what can be done to stop the carnage, especially when, you know, in Buffalo, that guy uh, that killed the people in the supermarket also had a elementary school on his list. So uh, I'd just like to have you address that, sir. Eddie, it's always good to be on your show. And I'm sorry, really, really sorry about the circumstances that I'm on for today. But, but let me just say this. Uh, I spent uh, almost four decades uh, in law enforcement. And I always told everybody that community safety was our top priority. And when it comes to kids, uh, my position as county sheriff was that if we can't keep children safe, I'm gonna say this again, if we can't keep children safe, there's nothing else that we do in this world that's going to matter. Nothing we do is gonna matter. if We can't keep our, the most innocent among us safe. And so as far as what do we do? I, I'll start by saying that doing nothing is simply not working. Uh, we, we've done nothing. We listen to the thoughts and prayers from our congressional leaders, uh, from those are, uh, in higher position, and they say our thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers are not working. We have to do something, Eddie. And I would say there's no one thing that we can do that's going to work. We need to look at a, a, a series of options. And some of the things that I'm thinking about, I'll, I'll start by saying, why is an 18-year-old being allowed to buy a gun? That's a question we should ask ourselves. I'm not going against the NRA and here to fight them, but I'm saying, why are we allowing an 18-year-old to go in and purchase a, an automatic weapon? Why do we have 400 million guns in America? So what I'm saying, Eddie, is just looking at one thing, doing one thing is not going to work. We're going to have to look at a series of things, and that might even include uh, raising the age to purchase a weapon uh, at some point. We have to look at everything. Well, you know, in Texas, uh, you don't have to have a background check. I guess you could be 13 and buy a weapon there. This guy bought up uh, all kinds of ammunition and uh, wasn't even questioned. So uh, I know that, you know, the governor came back out. And the first thing you want to do is, like he said, have the prayer vigil and all that stuff. But this is happening over and over and over again. And sadly, in the land of the free and home of the brave, it happens more here in the United States than anywhere else in the world. So it just seems to me that at some point in time, people become re reality, regardless on what side of the aisle you're on. I understand right now you can't get 60 votes in the United States Senate uh, to uh, break a filibuster so you can pass some sensible gun legislation. Uh, is there any kind of rules and regulations that we have on the books in Washington State that would prevent this kind of carnage? Well, you know, it's a great question. And I think we did some great things. And it has a, we're not saying it's going to prevent them, but we are at least looking at one step at a time. When we limited it, uh, we limited uh, magazine capacity this last session. We did some things with respect to keeping uh, weapons from large crowds. If you remember a few years ago, you could show up at the Capitol steps 
at a rally with a gun strapped over your shoulders. We, we are limiting those things. It's one step at a time, but unfortunately, our congressional leaders, and I'm not talking about the ones that are on my side of the aisle, the other, others just choose to do nothing. And But what I get tired of, and I'm sure you've gotten tired of hearing it, I'm getting so tired of going to uh, uh, having prayer vigils, thoughts and prayers, it's not working. Uh, we're talking about things, and you mentioned it earlier, about mental illness. Other countries, and I've heard this from other people, other countries have people dealing with mental illness. They're not going out shooting up uh, schools, kids in schools, Eddie. Are, are, we, are we listening to ourselves? This is America shooting up classrooms, fourth grade students. I, I mean, how terrible are we right now? 400 million guns in America. Uh, I think there are some things that we should do. I, I'm, I'm interested in looking at what we call the red flag laws. Uh, that allows a police officer or a mental health professional to intervene. Uh, having more school safety committees to really sit down uh, because I'm, I'm concerned about every aspect, but we're not keeping children safe in their schools. Children are going to schools scared. And that's just, that, that, that is simply not right here in any country, but it's not right here in America. And, you know, we are going around the world dictating uh, uh, these all these bad guys and other, other governments and uh, all the bad guys who we're talking about. You know, we might see something like this from Putin. But other than that, you know, it's happening in this country. And uh, what kind of laws do we have on the books in Washington state to prevent people uh, like this 18 year old kid that went in, was able to buy a. AR-15 and 375 rounds of ammunition. What laws do we have in Washington State to prevent that? Well, you know, at 18, you can purchase, you, you can make a purchase of, of, of a long rifle and we don't have anything. And I've not, because this obviously this happened a few days ago, which was seemed like every day, uh, but we are working on some things and I won't discuss some of the things that we're having conversations about, but you have the ability to go in and, and purchase a weapon at 18. Uh, I'm talking a, a rifle. Um, so we don't, you know, we've done some things with limiting magazine capacity. We've done some things with limiting uh, those weapons at public events, uh, but a person still has the, the right and the ability uh, to purchase those weapons at 18. And, uh, yeah, at 18 years old. Um, when is the last time we've had any kind of resemblance to something like that in Washington state of mass killings? I mean, there have been a lot of things happening in the inner cities, uh, you know, folks killing us like they can come back tomorrow, which is sad within itself. But I was just trying to figure out when have we had anything resembling what we've been hearing about at Sandy Hook or any of these other places? We're very, very fortunate that we have not had anything. We had a, a shooting at Marysville Pilchuck High School. Uh, I believe that was in 2014. Uh, uh, that was in October of 2014. We had a, a shooting there where a, a young man went in the school and, and uh, killed several kids. But we haven't had anything like that. Uh, and I hope, hopefully we won't. Uh, I believe our schools, I don't know about you, Eddie, but I lived in Louisiana and in Texas. And outside of the home, the school was the safest place in the community. I mean, it was, it didn't matter what happened. We grew up during the times of all of the ugly things that went on in the 50s and 60s. If something bad happened, you could always go to the school. Now that's just not, we just can't do that now. I, I, I feel just horrible thinking that you can't tell your kids to wait in the gymnasium, wait in the cafeteria. Uh, it's just a horrible situation that we're dealing with. 
I understand what you're saying. I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, and spent the first 10 years of my life in Shreveport. Went to West Shreveport Colored Elementary School. Yep. Was born in Charity Hospital on the colored side. But anyway, uh, thanks. Eddie, Eddie I got to tell you this. Eddie, I was born in Charity Hospital myself. And I, I was born in uh, Natchitoches. I was born in Shreveport, but I lived in Natchitoches Parish. So we, we have some roots, uh, root, roots that we can share. Yeah, I was Caddo Parish. Yeah. The Lakeside, yeah. The Lake, Lakeside guys. And, and I hate to say this, but my high school was called Allen High School for Negroes. That was the name of the school. Oh, yeah. All right. Right. Because I went to West Seattle, I mean, West Report Colored Elementary School. Yeah, I and know. And up the hill, we had Booker T. Washington, a school name for black men. Now, the last few minutes, I want to just talk about your, uh, your legislative priorities for the session. I know you guys are going through a re-election right now, and I'm just going to assume that you're going to be re-elected. So what are your top priorities legislatively? I, I, we have quite a few that I'm working on. I think the number one priority is going to be to keep this strong economy going. We have a good, strong economy. We have a, a, a nice cash reserve. We need to keep the economy going. We need to do more and address the homelessness issue. I don't care where you go. People are dealing with homelessness. And I know personally, uh, we're having some issues attracting uh, police officers to the profession. I'm going to do more to try and, and have some, I'm, I'm talking with the director of the Criminal Justice Training Commission, uh, Director Alexander, to try and do some regional classes instead of uh, having them all at the Criminal Justice Training Commission, maybe do some regional things. Uh, but th those are just a few. But I, I, number one, we're going to have to do more to, to make sure that our community remains safe. I always tell people I want good, safe schools, good, safe roads, and jobs with benefits. Those are my priorities. And uh, I still would, would suggest to the, uh, Adrian Diaz, who is now the uh, acting chief of police for the city of Seattle, I think that uh, the folks down at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, uh, the, the, the sailors over at uh, Trident, and also at at Bremerton, you start talking about a $25,000 signing bonus and can make $100,000 in a year for somebody just making uh, two grand a month or yep. a thousand a month. I'd be awfully appealing. And a lot of those folks are uh, really trained, although we know we have some right wingers in the military as well. But I think that you're talking about some people that could deal with stress. I mean, they've been all kind of through all kinds of training. And uh, I think that would be a good approach. That's my personal opinion. What do you think about that? Eddie, I think you're absolutely spot on. I, I was a, I was recruited out of the military. I was in the Coast Guard when a gentleman showed up to recruit me, and I was making a pretty small salary. And he pointed out the state patrol could could just change your life, and I popped on. Matter of fact, I went to his. I spoke at his memorial this past Sunday, and I I think you're absolutely right. We're going to try and create some opportunities because, like I said at the start of this, community safety is our top priority. All of us, I don't care which side of the aisle we're sitting on, we need safe communities. And we need to make sure that we have people in place to, to prevent uh, things from happening that happened in Buffalo and in Texas. And you know, you have a real unique situation in the 44th legislative district at this point in time. Uh, who is all up for real? You're up, is everybody at the House is up for re-election because you were uh, named to the Senate by the Snohomish County Council, you have to run as well. Do you have an, any opposition? I do. I, I have a gentleman. I have not met him, but I have a gentleman. It's it's. This is a tough district uh, for anybody, uh, and we all we, we are all up for re-election this year. Myself, uh, Representative Berg, and Representative Donahue. And, and so we're, working hard. we're working hard to to, to get back. I'm as soon as I get off line with you, I'm going to be out knocking on doors. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you have to get out there and do that. But uh, uh, we've been joined by my next ghost, but uh, uh, my next guest, but uh, Senator uh, John Lovick, we really appreciate your tenacity, your commitment to the people. And also, I hope the state leans on you uh, in terms of seeking direction uh, what to do about law enforcement because of your background. So thank you very much, sir, and good luck in the upcoming elections. It's always good to be with you. You are just a kind gentleman. Peace, patience, and kindness to you and uh, your listeners. We'll be Louisiana homeboys. That's why. We're going to do it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Bye-bye. Okay. My next guest is Emma Katagi, uh, Filipino Community of Seattle Incorporated. And she has done uh, so many things that have taken an hour or two uh, to uh, mention all the uh, things that she's been involved with, uh, like uh, being the founding mother of the Asian Pacific Islander Women and Family Safety Center. She's worked as a community organizer in domestic violence, sexual assault, and anti-human trafficking advocate. And she also has a big project now, which I want to talk about uh, for the next few minutes. Emma. We don't have an hour for you today. But I want to talk about your top priorities right now in the Filipino community of Seattle Incorporated. Sure. Thank you so much, Eddie, for giving me this opportunity. Um, hello, everyone. So again, my name is Emma Katagi. I work at the Filipino community of Seattle as a program supervisor. And yes, uh, there's two things that's happening here. Uh, the first one is we actually build a 94 units uh, uh, senior affordable housing and it took us about 10 years to have it and uh, it's already filled up uh, since last year we opened it last year July and we have all the units is now filled up and this is for everybody it's not just for Filipinos in fact all the residents there is uh, multi-ethnic and so we're very excited about that um, in fact we're having a grand opening uh, this coming June 9, um, we postponed it because of the COVID. So, Eddie, you're welcome to come. Uh, so, oh, you can I, be a I part. Came, I yeah. came to your birthday party Saturday. So, happy birthday <laughs> once again. Well, thank you so much for coming. You know, that was so excited. So, now, uh, after that, um, we are the next uh, big thing that we are looking at is to really build a family's affordable housing. And it's gonna be next to our community center, uh, you know. And uh, we just got the, um, I think we get, we just got an approval from Office of Housing at the city of Seattle. So now we are actually buying, oh, we are already paying for the acquisition of the land. And so I think the next, uh, the next move now is to really find the money uh, do all the things that we need to do so that we can build it. Uh, we're hoping that we can build it in the next five years. Uh, and uh, that's where we at right now. So we're very excited. And Velma and Alma say hi, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate Velma. You know, she. Uh, I was on a trade mission to the Philippines with her in 1993. I got to meet quite a few people and uh, it was very impressive. Now, exactly where are you guys located, Emma, and what is the uh, access information that people can get to look up this housing, and uh, they might want to get on the waiting list, even though it's filled, and you're ready to build something new. So uh, yeah. I have a couple of ideas for raising money for you, but why don't you go ahead and share that information about where it's located? So I want people to be able to go by when they drive by, they'll, oh, there's a Filipino Seattle housing. So yeah. address. So... 
our the Filipino Community Center, it's behind us. So uh, the, the address actually is 5727 37th Avenue South. That's the uh, address of the Filipino Community Village. They call it Filipino Community Village. But you can also access to us the Filipino Community of Seattle and we can refer it to them. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's run by human goods. So they're the property management that running our housing, even though Filipino community owns the building, we don't run it because we don't have the experience of running uh, or manage uh, housing. So hopefully after 15 years, we will be the one that's gonna run it. And so, yes, if they need, please call us, uh, you can call, um, Filipino Community of Seattle, 206-722-9372. Or even my information after this, uh, you can connect with me and I can you know, help you to navigate the system where we are. And yes, we are looking for all, you know, we are accepting um, uh, waiting lists because we know that a lot of people really love to be in this area. So yes, and very accessible bus and then uh, sound transit. So. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that is uh, amenities that benefits that we can provide to you guys, anybody. And again, 55 and over. Uh, so if you are 55 and over, you can apply. 55, that's a, that's a, that's a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's real young. But uh, uh, Emma, uh, is there a, a email uh, or a, a, a website with this information? Yes. Uh, oh my God, I'm blanking out. I think it's uh, www.filipinocommunityvillage.org. Uh, okay. Yeah. And that's one block off Martin Luther King Jr. Way, right off of uh, where you would see uh, the, yeah. the sound, sound transit a light yeah. rail going. It is like uh, between Juno and Orcas. So Juno and Orcas, Martin Luther King, Juno and Orcas. So it's behind the Filipino community building. If you see the Filipino community um, center, it's behind us. So you won't miss it. Um, it's right in Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. And that's good. And you filled up the first one already with 94 units already filled. So yeah. we know the housing is needed. Because I had a couple of people that are trying to build affordable housing and they seem to be getting some problems, but I'm gonna get with the right person, like Mr. Jebediah Gardner. He's one of the guys successful developers in our community, and get with him. So he's also available to other folks as well. So, okay. uh, Emma, I just want to know when uh, there's going to be the next public event uh, about uh, the housing, or what you're planning on doing. Because I have an idea about raising money for you, and I think you should invite Robert Cortez Scott back. You're also known as Bobby Scott. His grandfather is a is Filipino. He is the only person of Filipino ancestry to ever serve in the United States Congress. And uh, we've had a long time relationship and I know he'd be more than happy to come back and help you guys raise some money for what you're doing because you're providing services to people. And he's a, a yeah. person guy. Yeah, we, I think you talked to Belma about it. We were looking at it. We actually- Belma uh, told me to talk to you, you're the boss. Oh, I'm not the boss. We are all boss here. But yes, okay. we're so excited. You know, we will look at it and I think, and thank you so much, uh, Eddie, for connecting us with him. I think okay, this is I'll make sure it, I'll make sure it happens. 
Well, Emma Kataggy, thank you so much for all the stuff that you do in the community. Like I said, it take an hour to go over all the committees and all the work you've done aiding victims of all kinds of uh, catastrophes. So thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the week, and I'll talk to you soon, Emma. Thank you. Okay, you too. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Yuri, we're going to go ahead and take a break now and come back with uh, our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Tell your friends about Alternative Talk 1150. Uh, Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest with my next guest. And uh, that's uh, Raymond Miller, who is a Air Force veteran, also is a regional chair for the NAACP Armed Services and Veteran Affairs Committee for Alaska, Oregon, and Washington. And uh, we got Memorial Day coming up. A lot of uh, me and Raymond's people gave our life for this country over the last 400 years. But you would think that we never done anything, according to some people, of some ilk. But anyway, Raymond, uh, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. Thank you so much, Eddie. I'm so happy to be here with you. Okay. So, uh, you know, this Memorial Day is coming up, and I wanted you to talk specifically about, just give us about a minute of what you do uh, with the regional office of the NAACP with the Armed Services and Veterans Committee. Well, with the, not with the um, Armed Services and Veterans Committee for the NAACP, uh, we uh, stay connected with our uh, elected officials our, um, and uh, with our military folks and our veterans, and we help them uh, make that sometimes difficult transition back from military life and back to civilian life. We help them with their uh, disability claims. We tell them about what benefits and services they have through their service through our country. And uh, we try to help them keep in contact. And uh, so it's individual based on what we do for veterans, but there are a host of, of things that we can do, but mainly explaining what benefits and services they have and um, 
through their service to our country, and we welcome them back home because for the things that they and then for our active duty members, uh, we help them with uh, things that might be going on with the uh, with their military career. Uh, um, if they're having some problems or, or not having some problems, so we stay connected with those folks as well. So uh, we take care of our armed services and members who are active duty as well as our veterans and providing what's what's going on in their lives and. Most of all, we try to thank them for their service and help them in any way they can. There seems to be quite a few issues with uh, the Veterans Hospital, VA Seattle, I guess also down in some other areas. And also, it's kind of disheartening to drive by the VA hospital and see all those veterans living in those campers. Uh, what can be done to, to improve the quality of life for folks who have served the country? Well, um, you know, that's, that's what we get, we help them with, um, you know, number one is it is disheartening. Uh, we don't do enough for our veterans. Uh, seems like once we serve, our, we serve and the uh, population seems to forget about us. Uh, but, you know, make sure that the VA is adequately funded to take care of our veterans, to make sure that they have housing options. Uh, once again, to explain to them what their, what their services are. Uh, a lot of our veterans who are homeless are also suffering, suffering from post-traumatic stress, and we have to get them in counseling. One of the things we got to do is get them in counseling, uh, get them their service-connected disability. Homeless is, is tied with poverty. So we got um, some of our greatest heroes who have served this country gallantly are now homeless and sleeping in campers and sleeping in tents uh, because they're not getting the correct, the, the correct mental health uh treatment that they need for their post-traumatic stress, um, for the injuries that they suffered while they were in the military. So what we can do is make sure that we adequately fund them, fund the veterans programs, and that we counsel our veterans on what benefits and services they have uh, once they come back home. So that's, that's, that's one of the big reasons that we can do to help them. And uh, I understand there were some serious problems at CLVA. Uh, how is that going in terms of... Uh correcting some of the complaints that we've been hearing? Oh, as we assume, uh, we have, we, yes, we have received numerous complaints uh, with the, um, from the VA about uh, racial discrimination and, and uh, what's going on at the VA. Actually, we have met with the, the director and, and his staff on a couple occasions. Um, they have asked me to also to serve on one of their committees to do with um, um, how do we tackle that problem. And so they're working very well with the Department of Veterans Affairs, the VA Puget Sound Healthcare System. Uh, and they are, um, they are listening. They are trying. They know that this is a systemic problem that is not going to be corrected overnight. Uh, the VAs have been, we've been had a VA since what, 1865, 1864. Uh, so there's a, and discrimination is going on uh, as it is in all segments of society. So, but they are listening to us and they are trying. Uh, I've been doing this for 40 years, and this is the most respective that they have been since the things that I've been working with. So I'm going to give them some kudos. I'm not going to kick them down, kick them while they're down, but they are got a lot of work to do. And they are they are actually working with us. Uh, and there have been times in, in that we have tried to work with them in the past where they wouldn't even listen to what we were saying. So uh, that is, um, you know, but we got a lot of work to do. They have a lot of work to do. 
And you know the VA because you were uh, employed by the VA, right? I was employed by the VA as, as well, yes. Uh, I used to work for the VA. I know it's from head to toe. Uh, one of the uh, reasons I left the VA because I realized I had reached my ceiling. Uh, I, I had, and, and no matter what I did, I, wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to get another promotion. But we also we started the uh, the uh, uh, Washington State Command Council of the National Association for the National of, of Black Veterans Incorporated, and I became the, um, the regional director. After that, I became the national director for five and a half years for the National Association for Black Veterans Incorporated, and so uh, that's one of the reasons why. But focuses on helping veterans, particularly black veterans, who, who uh, through my experience, were not getting uh, the same treatment that uh, minority veterans or majority veterans were getting uh, in this country at the VA hospital. And uh, I just want you to reflect on uh, uh, Memorial Day, which is coming up on Monday, and uh, just reflect on that. All of all the black men and women who have died over uh, now in every war this country has ever fought, and still right. be in the position that we're in. I mean. <laughs> I guess we all getting treated like veterans, especially if you're black. I just like to have you comment on the veteran uh, on Memorial Day. What does that mean to a veteran? Well, it, it means what number one is. I like to say when they talk about the stat that is heard around the world, I call it the bullet that killed Christopher Alex, who was a black man, was one of the first persons to die for freedom in this country in 1776, 1775, actually. And they call it the shot that heard around the world. It started a revolutionary war that killed Christopher Addicts. In every war since that time, we have fought and fought. And African Americans have, have uh, during that, we got this time to talk about our Montford Fort Marines, who were the first, um, 1942, was the first African Americans to be allowed in the Marine Corps. We talk about the Tuskegee Airmen in 1941 were the first African-Americans to uh, be allowed to fly aircraft in the United States military. We talked about 1948, where they uh, Harry Truman desegregated the armed forces into uh, uh, not separate but unequal branches. And um, also I want to highlight that we are been working really hard. for. I've been working really for the last 40 years on renaming. We've got about 11 Confederate uh, military bases are named after Confederate people who served in the military. This came out this week that the commission that was set to do that has just uh, named the names that they're going to rename those bases from the Confederate people that they named after, those traitors, and rename them. One of, them is, one of the bases is going to be named after Sergeant Henry Jackson, who was the uh, one of the first African Americans to receive the Medal of Honor. In World War One, uh, and a couple other bases that are going to be named after African Americans, uh, that just came out. So we're going to rename the bases. All the bases that are named after Confederate people, traitors, uh, okay. will be by 2024. And you know, you're saying that so the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, Congressman Adam Smith, the ninth Congressional District of Washington, was hearing what you're saying. So Ray, I want to thank you. You can hang on. If, uh, we're going to go to Congressman Adam Smith. Uh, he is uh, the guy, I hope he heard uh, what, about the VA, and I'm sure that we will keep him in the loop. So, Ray, thank you very much. Uh, happy Memorial Day to you. And like I said, you can hang on. Uh, Congressman Adam Smith, thank you very much for making time, sir. Good uh, to see you. On Urban Forum Northwest. And uh, being the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, 
I know that Monday Memorial Day means something special to you as well. So uh, uh, I would just like to have you talk about, first of all, uh, what you're doing for your district and for the people. Certainly. Well, I mean, the big focus, you know, coming out of the pandemic, but also all the economic inequality we have uh, is trying to create opportunity. Um, I've had several meetings today talking about housing, um, what we can do to create more affordable housing in, in the region. Um, met with folks about uh, helping refugees, which we have a lot in the city. Um, I had a forum on food insecurity, how we can better support food banks. And then on education and job training, which I know you and I have talked about um, in terms of making sure there are programs available so people can go out there and get good paying jobs and have the training to do it. So very focused on that. I am very excited also about what you were just speaking about, and that is the base renaming commission. This is something we were able to pass in the defense bill two years ago uh, over President Trump's veto. As a matter of fact, we over overrode his veto, and this was one of the issues he vetoed it on. Uh, and now the commission that was appointed by that bill is is doing great work. I mean, they're really run they're across the country and they're educating people on how many of these bases and also within the bases, buildings, um, different things, streets that are named uh, for Confederates or or traitors, as your uh, other guest appropriately pointed out, and the history of why those things were named as a way to sort of maintain white supremacy and why it's so important that we change those names. So changing the names is crucial, but this commission has held hearings all across the country to walk people through that history and to understand the history of white supremacy and racism that led to it, and then begin the process of correcting it by changing those names. Um, So I'm I'm very pleased that that commission was able to be created and that they're doing such a great job. And that's great. Uh, I just think back about uh, the times that I was uh, served in the military at Fort Ord and then down to Fort Sam Houston. I was a six-month wonder. I was in, in the Washington National Guard in the medical unit. If you join before you're 18 and a half, you only go to meetings for three years. So I couldn't beat that. But uh, going, I being born in Louisiana and coming up to Seattle. My father was a Northwest organizer for the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, the only union that a black man could belong to in those days. But coming here up to Seattle when I was 10 years old, then going back down to the South when I was 18 and getting a drink out the water fountain in San Antonio. And man tells me, boy, that uniform don't make you white. And I said, oh, my God, I'm in the military and I'm still. But then again, I thought about my history, how blacks had to fight in segregated units, how uh, uh, the red tail hawks, uh, the Tuskegee uh, air guys uh, couldn't really do anything until Eleanor Roosevelt rode in a plane with one of them. So and then after that, they were so renowned that uh, the white pilots for the big bomber saying, can we please have the red tail hawks escort us because they never lost a bomber. But then again, they come right back to a situation where you are, we're facing segregation. Now it's in different forms, and you, you've touched on that already. Access to training, access to uh, uh, equality in terms of contracts and stuff like that, which we know that still is a problem because we still have people with the mega bucks that own the, the mega law, law firms and own a lot of the politicians, not you, but a lot of others who are voting the uh, wrong way. It's like right now... Uh, what do you think the prospect is of getting 60 votes out the Senate to curb some gun violence? Yeah, not good. I mean, the Republicans have made their stand and their stand is with with the gun lobby. Um, and look, it is just it is undeniable that the more guns, the more gun violence. And we have 
very limited restrictions on that. Very limited. You know, the, the Republicans even resist uh, red flag laws, which basically enable you to say, OK, this person has, you know, a, a history of mental illness or a history of threatening statements. So we're going to go to the court and we're going to take the guns away from that person. They don't even let us do that. Um, and really what we need to do, we need more aggressive red flag laws. We need to ban assault weapons. We need to make sure that there are background checks for every single purchase of a firearm. Um, and, and those laws, all of what I've just said is passed the house, um, and the Senate's sitting on it. So I think if we're going to do this, we're going to have to figure out how to win more elections and get more Democrats and fewer Republicans. And, you know, sir, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, in Texas, for example, uh, the 18 year old guy bought and bought the uh, assault rifle. And also you don't have to have any identification uh, to buy guns in Texas. And I heard that some of the cartels in Mexico would send their folks up there, buy all they want. And then they go back down there, still a carnage. So I'm hoping that uh, folks wake up and really uh, take this into, into heart that we need to do something. What are the, the, some of the other pieces of legislation that you uh, look forward to uh, putting forth in the next coming session? Yeah, well, some of it's building on what I said earlier. I think one of the things I'm most excited about is better funding for apprenticeship programs, uh, better funding for access to community and tactical training, um, working with the unions on the apprenticeship side. Um, and then, look, there are still elements of the Build Back Better plan that we should be advocating for. Um, and the biggest one I'm very focused on is child care. Um, and help for families, whether it's paid family and medical leave or um, uh, subsidized child care so people can actually afford child care, helping families. I don't think we should should walk away uh, from focusing on, on those issues going forward. And the other big thing is, is voting rights. Voting rights is so crucial. Um, you know, we've got the votes in the Senate uh, for the um, John Lewis Voting Rights Act that we passed. Um, if they're willing to set aside the filibuster for that vote. And I think we have to keep pushing on the voting rights issue. I'm uh, going to be very, very focused on that going forward. Well, looking at what's happening already in Georgia and a few other places, uh, uh, although I must say I'm happy to see that uh, uh, 45's uh, candidate did not prevail in the in the uh, Republican um, uh, 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 runoff and uh so the incumbent is still there but at least one thing about him he did not uh disqualify uh yeah. <laughs> he didn't just try to disqualify the duly and righteously elected president uh, uh so i mean to me that says something i mean i don't know it, about his other politics oh it's positive in the secretary of state um the secretary of state who refused to overturn the election and certified Joe Biden's win in Georgia, that secretary of state was challenged by a member of Congress, a pro-Trump member of Congress, and the secretary of state won that one as well. So two, two well, for lack of a better way to put it, fascist wannabes um, were defeated, um, even in the Georgia Republican primary, and that that is a positive. Well, that could bode well for uh, uh, gubernatorial aspirants, uh, Stacey Abrams. She's Absolutely. not being challenged by anyone, and uh, so she'll have uh, quite a bit of time. So, uh, and I have to give her a lot of credit for organizing and getting folks out uh, to the polls. Uh, unfortunately, now uh, in Georgia, you can't get a drink of water or anything to eat while you wait in the, the line. You know, so yeah. I mean, they but let me just say about Stacey Abrams. I mean, people ask me all the time when you ask that that gun that gun question about what can we do in the Senate. 
know, there's a lot of issues where people are frustrated. And in some cases, you've had one or two Democrats unwilling to go along, and that's held it up as well. Uh, but without question, what's holding all of these issues up that I just mentioned are the Republicans and their unanimous opposition to them. And that can be very frustrating. And people can say, well, what's the point? Why do we go do this? Stacey Abrams is the best example of what the point is. What Stacey Abrams did after she lost her governor's race four years ago, she didn't sit around and complain about it and blame much other people. She organized. She got out and organized voters in the state of Georgia, especially black voters, but Democratic voters in general. And she is the reason that Mitch McConnell is no longer majority leader. Pure and simple. We won those two races in Georgia in January to take back control nominally um, of the Senate because Stacey Abrams and a whole bunch of other people in Georgia worked their butts off, organized, got people to the polls and made a difference by electing Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff instead of the two Republican uh, Trump acolytes who are going to go back, including Purdue, by the way, um, the guy who uh, Trump put up to run against Kemp for governor. So organize, work hard. It makes a difference. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't do everything you want it to, um, but it got a lot more power than a lot of people give it credit for. And Stacey Abrams proves that every day. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the registered voters who, uh, want, who are aspiring for change, or want to have your voice heard, you just heard right from Congressman Adam Smith's mouth, the Stacey Abrams, what you have to do to get engaged. Now, we're talking about uh, uh, the midterm elections. I mean, all the elections are significant. Uh, local, federal, all of them are significant. Because then that way, if you don't say anything and don't participate, you have no complaint. So what else would you like to see happen in, in, uh, the, ne in the next uh, session? You guys are on break right now. When do you go back to session? We go back to session on June 6th. Uh, we got the appropriations bills to pass, obviously. I'm working on getting the defense bill passed. Um, but I think that the items that I mentioned earlier, voting rights and getting some elements of the Build Back Better bill. I guess the other thing I should mention um, is the, the Competes Act, which forces it focuses on enabling us to compete with China, especially on things like printed circuit boards and microchips. Um, it's got a lot of money in there to help us produce these domestically uh, so that we're not relying upon China. And the House passed a version, the Senate passed a version. Um, they're now in conference trying to work that out. That could be a huge boost for the domestic U.S. workforce. And very essential to the United States, period. You know, so I'm, I was still kind of shocked that why would we have so many integral parts and items manufactured somewhere else? I know it's cheaper. You know, it's like uh, the Nike shoes that are produced outside of the country for $10 to come back over here, they're $110. So I definitely understand the profit motive, but I would think that to be uh, really secure, we need to do with, uh, produce as many uh, essential items that we need right here in this country. And it's just a matter of making that investment, some people who can do it and, uh, and having some mini firms instead of having all mega firms. So I think that uh, that would also help. Now, Amen. one other question I have to ask you before we go is uh, Boeing's move from from Chicago, from Seattle to Chicago, now to Virginia. Yeah. So Boeing, that's going to be close to you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they, they left my district 20 years ago or over 20 years ago yeah. now. Uh, what I hope is they, they you know, do a better job taking care of their workers here domestic uh, in, in the state. Um, got a great workforce. Boeing, you know, Boeing employees are a huge part of our, our region here. So 
I do have to run. Um, okay, I appreciate I, it. I, I have also want to say, Corey needs to understand that we have all the uh, expertise right here to deliver quality playing. So that's, yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's the point. Thank you, Eddie. Okay, and uh, happy Memorial Day to you, Congressman. Thank you for your time today. You as well. Thank you. Okay, Eric, we'll take another quick break and come back. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. All right. We're right back at Urban Forum Northwest. Thanks for the, the music, Eric. Uh, I want to say, first of all, this week in the Seattle Medium, it's announced that my friend Michelle Merriweather, presidency of the Urban League, and the Seattle Medium will uh, relaunch the campaign to support local Black-owned businesses. And also, there's an article about its official uh, county council confirms Patty Cole Tyndall as Kane County Sheriff. So we're scheduled to have her on Urban Forum Northwest on June 30th. I got to call uh, Captain Tim back to make sure I have that confirmed. Also want to thank uh, Sound Transit, you know, the chair of the board is Kent Kill, who is also president of the Association of Washington Cities. He's on uh, the county the city council in University Place, Washington. And then uh want to thank uh, uh, Dante uh, for the Office of Civil Rights, uh, Diversity and Inclusion at Sound Trans for sponsoring the program. Also, the Port of Seattle's uh, Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice, Lawrence Coleman, and Josie Reagan. And then uh, uh, the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office. Uh, the director is Liz Alzier. So we want to thank those folks for their support. Uh, also, I want to just go back to talk about uh, last week we had a number of people who were uh, on KYC with the passing of Don Dudley. He was memorialized uh, last Saturday, the 21st. Uh, but uh, I spent time at KYC myself. Uh, as I've mentioned at uh, the service, uh, he gave me the microphone in the late 60s over on uh, Queen Anne Hill. 
and eventually uh, went down to Third Avenue. And uh, with Wayne Parks, a consultant, myself, we were, kept KYC on the air for about a year. And the program was also used to promote things in the Black community. Uh, for example, like uh, the change of the name of Empire Way to Martin Luther King Jr. Way. That idea came up from an interview that I did with Reverend Jesse Jackson. Uh, it was a Sunday in November. Uh, the late Freddie Mae Gaucher uh, brought Reverend Jackson in uh, to talk about uh, support for a January 15, 1981 event that Stevie Wonder was hosting uh, to uh, compel Congress to make Dr. King's birthday a national holiday. So uh, since we were so far away, Reverend Jackson suggested we do something locally. And that's when we started talking to people in the community and actually came up, okay, uh, Andre is connect connecting with us. But anyway, that's how that came about. And I just wanted to let folks know that uh, uh, that uh, some of the things that KYC accomplished. Attorney Andre Wooden, are you on the line with us? Hello there. Hello there. Okay. Okay. So uh, uh, first of all, uh, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, sir. So we uh, got a little delay on the time. But anyway, uh, I read your resume. There's no way in the world in five minutes we can cover all that. But I would like to have you just talk a little bit about uh, you graduated from Franklin, the University of Washington, the University of Washington School of Law, did some things in Seattle, and then relocated to Honolulu to have your uh, your practice. So why don't you uh, share with our listeners a little bit about uh, the beautiful scenery behind you, but also talk a little bit about your practice in Honolulu. Well, boy, graduated from UW Law School in 75 and then uh, got a job with the city attorney's office and did that uh, up until 80 uh, at the same time um, when Art France was uh, director of the Black Studies program at UW, he uh, asked me to teach a course in African-American history and constitutional law. And I picked up a degree in um, world history uh, down at Reed um, down in uh, 1970. So I took my first trip to Africa in uh, 79, took a Nikon and a surfboard uh, to West Africa. And I went as far south as I could go because they were still fighting in Angola in those days, but I, I flew into uh, Douala, Cameroon at 11 o'clock one night, and then I worked my way up the coast uh, through Nigeria, Ivory Coast, uh, Senegal, and such, um, and uh, wound up moving to Hawaii in, in 1980. I really didn't plan to stay, but I bought a house, and I'd come back here for uh, Christmas to visit the folks. And a couple of weeks of that weather uh, was all it took to remind me, I got a house in Hawaii. I, <laughs> winter became optional, and I, uh, I opted out. Uh, some know that uh, I used to swim a lot as a kid up here. I actually won the city championships in swimming when uh, I was at Franklin. Set the city record uh, in the butterfly and the freestyle in 65 and lowered them in 66. So when I picked up a surfboard in Hawaii, uh, I got hooked. Uh, I used to ski these mountains, Crystal Mountain and Snoqualmie and all that stuff. But uh, anyway, I've been trying to surf the seven seas uh, since that time. I married a, a sister, Daphne Barbie. Some folks know her. I met her at UW, but we really didn't hook up until uh, Hawaii. And um, she was uh, one of the prettiest public defender over there. And uh, everybody needs some backup. So it's funny, though, when I first uh, took her out to dinner after I, uh, I took a bar over there and we got to talking and uh, 
you know, I mentioned that my stepfather had been in the legislature and she said, well, her dad had been in the legislature in the Wisconsin. Her dad, uh, Lloyd Barbie, was the um, president of the NAACP in Wisconsin, and he had filed a lawsuit to integrate the schools in uh, Milwaukee. And after 20 years, they wound up paying him $750,000. And so he bought a couple of villas down in Jamaica. So she'd been taking me to Jamaica since we got married in 85. And uh, that's one reason I, I let my hair grow long. That and the first time I went to Egypt, went into the Cairo Antiquities Museum and saw the black granite statues of the old pharaohs with the dreadlocks. Um, Zoser, Zoser, third dynasty, built the first pyramid, the step pyramid. His statue in the Cairo Museum is out of black granite. His nose is busted, but his lips are full and his dreadlocks are beautiful. We only have about two minutes left. We're a little tardy getting you on, so could you just take two minutes and just kind of wrap it up? We have to get you back home to hear the story. It's too fascinating to cut it off here, but we're out of time today, but I have to have you back home. This is a very fascinating story you're talking about. Well, some of you may know that, boy, my stepfather, Charles Stokes, was one of the founding members of the Lauren Miller Bar Club, and that was back in 1968, same year that... Uh, the administration, uh, the Black Student, Black Student Union that I was part of at Reed took over the administration building and demand they create a Black Studies program. Anyway, 20 years later, um, 1987, uh, my wife and I and our friends started the Black Attorneys Association, the African American Lawyers Association in Hawaii, to push for diversity in the um, judicial system, to specifically to get uh, Black judges on the bench. And we've had some success um, with uh, getting some uh, black judges on the bench. Before we go, I want I want to let everybody know that you are the son of Josephine Stokes, because she's our star in Seattle and Martin Luther King Jr. County. So Andre, we got to have you back on because that that's a heck of a story you're telling us. You've been all the way to Africa and back and from back here and and all the way to Seattle. So there's too much more we got to talk about. So you're going to be here in Seattle for what a couple more days couple more days. Okay, well, Zoom and it works in, from Hawaii to Seattle. So we're gonna, we have to hear that whole story. If you tap into African AfricanHistoryVideos.com, there are some Zoom links, YouTube links to some of my travels to Egypt, Jamaica, uh, West Africa, and such. Okay, um, you hear that music. That means that we got to go. So I'll get back with you because we're going to hear that whole story, brother. We appreciate you. I wish you could have got you on early. But we'll do it again. Videos.com. Okay. Thank you. Right. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for joining Urban Forum Northwest. We will have Attorney Andre Wooden back so we can hear that whole story. So thank you, sir. Thank you.